Does Greg Popovich deserve criticism as a coach? Is Russell Westbrook having an all-time great season? Who will win tonight's marquee matchup between the Cavs and the Warriors? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast, and again, our Monday podcast with Coach Dave Dufour, as always, on Mondays. Here we are. Dave, we're going to chop up some serious basketball today. Yes, we are. Absolutely. I'm ready to tackle some of these problems that we've been complaining to each other about privately. Wait, no, we're going we're gonna to tackle them and solve them. Remember, that's, that's the whole point, is that we're here to, to help and ameliorate and solve and and really just take these things on. Uh, and I think what we wanted to start with was an interesting game between the Suns and the Spurs, uh, where the Suns actually pulled it out almost in spite of themselves. Um, you happened to catch the end of that game, right? I did. I caught, I caught the last play. You actually sent me the link to the video um, of the last play. And, and you and I both agree. I mean, it was a, it was a really weird call. Um, it, it should have been a, uh, just to set the scene that it was there were five seconds left. The Suns were up three, so the Spurs needed to get a three off. And the play they ran basically wound up amounting to a post up for Pau Gasol, and so the Suns foul. Pau is not a good free throw shooter, and so the game's over. As soon as they commit that foul, the game's over. So you and I both thought it was weird, and you did a little bit of digging. I because did. You were, you were confused by the timeouts. Right. So. I'm a muckracker, so I'm going to dig a little bit and find out. Because one of the things we thought was, okay, they bailed, they had to bail them out by throwing the ball in because they were worried uh, that they, the five-second call was going to happen and, you know, did they have another timeout. It actually looked like they kind of did, but then I got Ronnie Nunn on the phone, ex-NBA Ronnie Nunn, uh, and ex-NBA ref Ronnie Nunn, and we went through the rule because it is really confusing. And so – um, before we get to the, even the foul or, or defender foul notion of that last possession, here's the thing that's interesting was that, um, you know, the rules in the NBA are very strange for timeouts. And no other level has to deal with the fact that you can advance the ball, which makes the timeout a much more, um, you know, valuable thing when you can advance the ball to half court after a timeout. Um, now, here's the thing. You cannot take more than three timeouts in the fourth quarter. Which, I, which is interesting. I like that. It's a flow thing, right? They don't want to bog down the game because you could save, you know, you get your six timeouts. Um, you get, I think it's two 20-second th- two timeouts and four regular timeouts. And um, you could save all those. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you're every, every possession you're calling a timeout, it would make the last few games really too long. And I think no one wants that. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, like while we're talking about the timeout, I actually think that the NBA needs to adopt the FIBA rules on the timeout. Only allow timeouts on a dead ball. I don't really like the advancement. Uh, I don't like guys being able to – like. It, it really drives me crazy in college where you have pressing and trapping, whereas in the NBA you don't really have that. But bailing a guy out after the defense makes a great play, like allowing him to just turn around and stop the play in the middle – no, man. Uh, th- could you imagine if a quarterback was dropping back? And I know you hate football and, you know, I don't really watch it anymore. But if a quarterback's dropping back and someone's coming to sack the quarterback and all of a sudden he just says, oh, timeout. No, it's just not. No. That's disruptive. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, I, I, it's funny because at the high school level, the, the coach is allowed to call it. 
I think the college, I think everyone can call it. All the coaches can call it on every level. And that's another one of those weird things where, you know, it's like I, I, it, I probably it's been helpful in the past. But again, it's like the players are supposed to decide this game and they're the ones who are supposed to be heads up and make those calls or not. So, you know, I, I'm kind of torn by that at least a little bit. I, I think I'm much more interested in a better flow to the game um, than, 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 you know, sort of taking it away as a strategic thing. Because, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, as a coach, as a defensive guy, if you're like, you got them and then they get to bail themselves out with a timeout, that's a frustrating thing. Um, but the bottom line is, is what happened in the end of this game, which is really interesting, was is that if you have three timeouts or more with two minutes to go, and let's just say they're full timeouts. One of them is changed to a 20. You lose one of them, and you only have one full left. You get two timeouts, one full and one 20 in the last two minutes, no matter how many you have before then. And so what happened was is that the Spurs called, you know, they called a full at, with 130 left, and then they called a 20 with, with the four seconds to go before the inbounds play. So according to the rules, they did not have another uh, timeout left, which is why it was confusing. On the board, there was one timeout left on the graphic on the bottom of the screen, which confused me and I'm sure a lot of other people. Because the question then became, all right, did they throw it into Powell because they couldn't get the ball in, they were panicking, and they didn't call that timeout they could have used. And so that was one answer. Well, they couldn't call a timeout. They had to get it in. But the play... When you watch how it unfolded, clearly looked to me like they wanted to throw it to Powell, and then Kawhi was getting a flare screen from Marcus Aldridge up on top of the three-point line, and Powell was going to just turn and fire it, I guess, for a weak side three, or maybe Lamarcus Aldridge popping out for the three on the strong side. Um, and as you said, the biggest problem is that they just fouled Powell. You're throwing the ball to a guy with his back to the basket. There's no chance where he'll be in a shooting motion. Uh, where he can then maybe throw the ball in and get a three-point play that way, which would be you know a horrible ending uh, course of events. So my take on that was was that Pop. I think it's pretty clear, and you confirm this for me that Pop doesn't foul when they're up by three when it's his I, example, I've, right? Yeah, I've never seen him foul up three. So here's the question, right? You know, and this is a coaching thing, but also you know as a fan, you're interested in this because you're watching these games. They happen. Do you? It's a, it's an interesting debate. If you're up by three, if you follow the other team, you know, with five seconds, six seconds to go, then there's no chance uh, to tie the game. They have to shoot two free throws, and you just get the rebound, obviously, and then you're okay. The game's pretty much over. Some teams opt to defend, right? Foul or defend. Some teams try it, and we've seen this. How many times have we seen it now in the last five years where the guy they try and follow them, and they end up getting into a shooting motion from behind the three-point line? How many times have we seen that? It happens. It happens a ton, especially because it's now a skill that guys are are working on. You know, like we talk about James Harden with this all the time. The second he feels a hand on his chest, second he feels that hand check, he goes into a shooting motion and he gets that foul call. And this is what people they call it a flop, but that's a skill. Like I mean, hand checking is illegal. Yeah. So he takes advantage of the rule. And I would say on eighty percent of those, it's a serious. It's it's the guy is bringing his hands up and he gets whacked. I mean, it's it's not even like oh an, an, an iffy one. It's it's a real you know there's real contact there. 
So that is obviously part of the issue. I'm sure it's why you're afraid to foul when you're up by three. So you need to be able to practice it and have some rules. We talked about this yesterday about, you know, you, you know the guy's back needs to be to the basket. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple things like that. I know Dell Harris had it all written out at some point. But certainly, like, you know, you can ask the New Orleans Pelicans about it because you might remember – Steph Curry hit the most amazing three of all time in the left corner to, I think, to tie it when the the Warriors were like, I think, most space or somebody like had the ball, not even looking at the basket, and they easily could have just grabbed them and they didn't. And then I think, uh, I think it was Gentry at that point was like, uh, or, or no, was it Gentry? No, it was Monty Williams. Oh, so Monty Williams, right? Was like, well, we told them to fall and they didn't, which is probably not cool to say publicly anyway, but. Um, you know, either way, we've also seen enough where the guy hits the three. Right. Where you say to yourself, you should have just fouled. The ball came in, like maybe it was another pass or he dribbled. Because once he's dribbling, you know, down low, again, we now the guys are good at this now. So it's a weird thing. So you got to really work on it. But, you know, you can't foul him while he's shooting the three. But um, you got to try and just take that foul. And since Pop doesn't do that, it kind of felt like he didn't conceive that the other team would have tried that. Right. Well, also, you know, there's nothing to stop you from like committing a reach in foul on that inbound pass. Um, I mean, if you're going as long as you're going for the ball, as long as it's a basketball play, I mean, you know, a little bit of contact and you're going to get the foul call. I mean, they're not going to I guess as long as you're not grabbing the guy's jersey because they'll let that go now um, (laughs) away from the ball. You can do whatever you want. But as long as it's you're defending the pass on the ball. Yeah, just go ahead and there commit your foul there, and then you don't even give them a chance to get up the shot. Right, and how about this? Have the guy guarding the inbounder face the other way and watch and then just move to where the guy is going open. Then you know you can almost double-team that and just grab him, right? Even if he's kind of passing the ball off back to, to your man, you could be like hammering him, and they'll probably call that, and then you're, you're all set to go. There's only two free throws. So it cost the Spurs the game, and no one asked him about it. I, I was looking up you know, any kind of – I couldn't seem to find any you know, quotes from Pop that, that talked about it. Um, did you see anything? No, I did not. And, and you know, I have noticed that reporters don't really question Pop on game – like particular situations. They'll ask these general questions, but nobody ever – Nobody ever questions. Okay, why did why did you make this call or whatever? It's one of these things where they just defer to the to the greatness of Pop, rather than holding him accountable like they would, you know, Billy Donovan or someone like that. And you know, that's it's fine. I understand. Like he's been doing this a long time, and he and he is, to me, he's the best coach to ever coach in the NBA. And, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, this is obviously something that he screwed up and, and, you know, we want to know, like, why did, why did he do this? I'm sure he had a good reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the kind of guy that just does stuff willy nilly. So I'd love to know what his reasoning is because I can learn from it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be certainly a, a good, a worthy question and you're right. It seems like the only question we have now is, is, has he earned that infallibleness? You know, does, does he deserve to not be questioned like other coaches? And, you know, that, that might be the case. Um, you know, uh, the Spurs PR people are, you know, they're so protective. It's hard to even, you know, like, I wonder if, if, the, if, the, if the media there are even worried about asking it because they might not get, they might get trumped or something and, you know, sort of not get access as, as easily or something. Well, it's funny that you brought up Trump because that's exactly what it reminds me of. You know, like 
everyone laughs when pop kind of pops a reporter. You know what I mean? Like, but it's not, I mean, these guys are trying to do their job. Not that pop isn't, but at the same time, it's like, has he maybe intimidated reporters out of asking questions that are worth asking? Right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually trying to picture myself in that press conference asking him after the game in some re- reverential way, like, did, did, was it discussed that they would take the foul and push in the line? Like, <laughs> I think I would ask the question and then run away. Um, right. But, um, you know, it would, it would certainly, you know, it'd be interesting. And again, remember, when you sign that contract as a coach, you are acknowledging that you are going to get second-guessed and criticized by every asshole like me uh, every day. So it's not like you can't be surprised that, oh, wait, how dare you, you know, sir, question what I'm doing. That's, that's got to be in the contract, I would almost think. Uh, and so he, sh- he wouldn't be surprised by that. But, you know, and we, we've seen it before. Like when they lost that game, that seven-game series to the, to the Clippers, you know, like Pop lost that series because they continued to hack a DeAndre. Um, although they, they, they were, there was a couple games they didn't. And then – but when they did – you know, remember what the ancillary, uh, you know, uh, disadvantages are for that. Where remember the Clippers were very uh, thin, and all you're doing is letting them rest, and you're not letting your offense come down the court fast, which is what they were really good at. And uh, so they basically shot themselves in the foot, and it came down to like you know, we're talking about one possession to get inside that series, and you've been hacking a DeAndre, and it really wasn't working well enough. Uh, you know, th- that's on pop. Yeah, and well, and that. That season, the Clippers weren't – it's not that they had a bad defense. They had a good defense, but they weren't exactly the most disciplined defense. So what you allowed them to do was not only catch their breath, but to get their defense set. They were never able to uh, exploit a mismatch anywhere. And like you said, I mean, the, that Spurs team was so great at getting the ball up the court quickly and into their actions early. And so if you're doing that you know, mid-transition – Okay, that's great for you. But if you're doing it against that defense, now the defense has a little bit more of an advantage. So, yeah, it really did shoot him in the foot. Yeah. So, you know, Pop is not infallible. Phil Jackson was not infallible, even though, that you know, he won so many of those championships and he had, you know, the players. But, um, you know, there is, there is this notion of sometimes, yeah, you wonder whether or not they're just afraid to just even ask. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I remember I got a chance to ask him a question, to uh, Pop a question during the finals in 2014. And, and, uh, you know, it's intense. It's, it's like, you know, uh, he kind of looked at me for a second and, um, and then and answered it. And I kind of followed up and he answered again a little bit about switching. Probably wasn't a very good question on my part. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, you know, here we are. Uh, should we keep talking about the NBA? Yeah, why not? Is that why, that's why we're here, I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, there's so, lots to talk about. I want to. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I want to talk about your interesting Russell Westbrook stats that you were sharing with me. I don't know. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, I just think that they're they're interesting. Uh, to me, it's not a knock. Um, but but just describe the stats so that, so that everyone okay. else is clued in. So we're up. On, I'm on Synergy, and you have to remember with Synergy, it's this you know amazing uh, database that has every play cataloged. And the problem with it is that they catalog it the way they deem the plays happened, spot up. And we just you know I've done lots of videos. We've all seen them with spot up and pick and roll. And you know, is this a pick and roll or is that really the setup to something else and whatever? So, but they do amass all the possessions that players use, 
And you know, the solace I take is that they're all being you know cataloged by the same methodology. So there should be some consistency across it, and so you can kind of take what you want from it. So they have an overall offensive ranking based on your points per possession. And it takes, you know, it's kind of like the PER number. But this is, to me, like, at least makes more sense because you're, you're comparing across all the players. And you can limit it to guards only or all players. And so when you look at Russell Westbrook's numbers, and this has always been the case, which is sort of probably what got me on his case to begin with, which is, you know, why I wasn't as excited was. This year, overall, his offensive ranking is 48th percentile. And what that means is that 50th percentile is exactly average. And he is below the exactly average level in points per possession. Now, Dave, you want to break it down a little bit for why that is that makes sense to you? Yeah. Okay. So he's not a he's not an efficient player. We know this. And, and what we get are these these big round numbers: thirty, ten, and ten. We get the gaudy stats, but people miss the fact that he is. I mean, he's still using. 42% of possessions when he's on the court, which is just such an insane number. Like it is, So he's getting these huge counting stats because of how many possessions he's using, not because he's efficient with them. Um, and, and for reference, James Harden was where? He was okay. 68th. So, yeah, so James Harden, again, is, you know, is, is, is a better shooter, and he scores you know, a little bit higher efficiency. So his overall percentile is 69th. Which is, you know, now you're getting into that sort of good category. You're away from the average and you're moving into good. Now, let me just give you some idea for the rankings because basically, you know, if you don't understand the percentiles of how that works, we, what we can do is look at the list and, and where they are on the list. And so if you take – and let's make it just guards only so we don't get all the apples and oranges mixed up. If you take it for the overall um, points per possession, oh, you know what? I got to switch to points per possession. Um, I'm on the wrong one, right? Real quick, because we uh, we'll talk about that in a second. If you look at the um, the rankings uh, for overall, and you limit the minimum possessions to what did I say? Let's say um, 100, and then we talk about only guards only. It's a little slow uh, populating the database, but let's go to guards only. Um, let's see here. I might have to change the minimum possessions because. I, all right. Okay, here, this is not bad. So there's 134 guards in the NBA that have used at least 100 possessions. Okay, you with me? Yep. Russ is ranked 63rd out of 134. So that's, you know, that's what we think. He's right in about in the middle there. Now, you want to know, if you look at the guys who are above him, that, that now we start to paint a more of a better, prettier picture about at least where he re- resides. So Russ is 63rd, you know, Jordan Clarkson is 58th, Goran Dragic is 57th, you know, Austin Rivers is, is 56th, you know, with, um, you know, they, they all, they've all used a lot of uh, possessions too. Uh, you keep going up the, up the chain here, you know, Avery Bradley is 39th, Seth Curry is 37th, you know, and at the very top, is interesting, is George Hill. He just, you know, he, he's, he's played enough where he's got enough possessions, but should we, should we get rid of him because he hasn't played enough? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that it's fine. I mean, George Hill really like he's, he's having a great season. Yeah. Um, Cause although, the- yeah, fair enough, but he's not really been playing. So of the 87 guards, right. That had a 300 possessions, right. So CJ miles is number one out of, in the guards. Steph Curry is number two, you know, and it goes from there. Isaiah Thomas is three. Kyle Lowry is four. And then, you know, Russ is, is uh, 47th. Now James Harden is, um, ranked, 31st. 
So, you know, that's not great. And there's still a lot of guys who are in front of him. You know, again, this is efficiency. So guys like Darren Collison simply aren't using a lot as many, you know, uh, possessions. And so they're able to take, like, smarter shots, right? And then they're yeah. able to take easier more shots. more spot-ups. Right. I, I think as usage goes up, it's pretty clear to me that the, the difficulty of shots goes up, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know. Now, what do we say about the argument that he has to take those? Uh, see, so, you know, I, I, and I disagree. I, I don't think he has to take those. I mean, all right, Russell Westbrook is obviously – he's a top seven player in the league. And he's the best player – in Oklahoma City, like that. Let's get that out of the way. And I feel like I'm always couching these arguments with that. And um, he is—he's either the MVP or the or the, just behind this, the, the the MVP. Right, which is how this whole conversation started in the first place. Is we were trying to find a way to compare Harden and Westbrook because it's difficult because they do their games are so radically different. Mm-hmm. And so the thing about Russ, okay, Victor Oladipo is having the best season of his career right now from an efficiency standpoint, playing next to Russ. And that's partly because of Russ. But I would love to see Victor Oladipo getting more touches um, when he's on the court with Russ. Uh, you know, there's the whole thing. We we both we both want uh, Russ to uh, play more off ball, do more cutting, things like that. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's averaging 10 assists a game, and he could probably average 15 if he gave the ball up a few more times to guys that were open. Well, or or the argument being that if he facilitated himself in the offense more and used his gravity more off ball, then he might not get the assist, but well, right. the team itself would be more efficient and score better. And I think, because remember, this is a unique situation because Russ is in charge of who's getting most of these shots, right? He holds that ball, and he's you know he's the puppeteer here, and um, that's the that's the real issue. Now we could be wrong; it could be a, a total shitstorm if if he's like because. And by the way, we've seen that like with Kobe in the past, where he's like, "Okay, fine, f you guys, you do right. it." But that's also, and I'm not saying Russ does that. Russ does not do that. No, no, and we haven't seen that yet. Although I feel like maybe there was one game right where he kind of completely just disconnected and. Uh, my mind's eye is now lighting up. There was something about it, but it would not, he doesn't really do it. And that's also just as bad as just gunning every single time. There's got to be a balance there where you can use your gravity uh, in the concept of a team offense to make your teammates better without having to be the guy pounding the ball the whole time. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, he's got good pick-and-roll partners. Uh, Cantor and Adams are, are really good. You'd love to see him give the ball up a little bit more to the roll man. Um but, yeah, I, I think everyone should want Russ to be uh, more efficient because it means his job is getting easier. You know, like th- this is the thing about Steph Curry, right? Steph Curry is super efficient. But Steph Curry also has guys around him that allow him to be super efficient. Now, it's not that I think that Steph Curry using 40% of possessions would be uh, a Russell Westbrook type of shooter. No. But – he turns the ball over at a high rate. And if he was using the ball 40% of the possessions, he would, I mean, he would, he would probably be worse than Russ and not because he's making bad decisions necessarily. But you even said this, you were like, I think you think Steph Curry, one of his big goals is to entertain, which is why you see so many behind the back passes and stuff like that. Like he plays loose. It's fun. Um, But I think that that would get worse if he was the only guy on his team, you know, so to speak, the only star. Right. 
And so, and, the, and so, and the Russ turnover thing is a thing. It's because they tend to be, they're, they're frustratingly bad turnovers. Uh, I would say 40% of them. Um, the kind that where, especially in the ones on this passing turnovers, um, although a lot of times the dribbling ones too, but the passing ones tend to be like, he has made up his mind he's going to pass the ball to this one guy and it's not open and he's just going to throw it anyway. And, and again, it, it, those happen. He doesn't necessarily glow, glower at the, the other guy for being making the mistake, which is good. You know, he, he runs back. But um, it's those, like, you know, pick and roll, and the guy's rolling, and he's, there's two guys sandwiched, the roll man, and he still just throws it. And it doesn't even get anywhere near the receiver. Um, now, we could also factor in assists with all this, because this is usually where you see guys, like even like Ricky Rubio, for instance, is horrible in his, in his overall offensive rating. He's like 17th percentile. He's almost the bottom or the last, right? But when you factor in assists and the, and, the, and the total amount of offense he generates, he's 96th percentile. He's right up there because he really facilitates well, and his usage rate is, you know, normal for, for a point guard. So, but if we look at that for Russ... You know, he, he does go up to 72nd percentile. But again, if you're looking at players who've used at least 500 possessions with the points and assists, there's 124 of those overall, and Russell Westbrook is 53rd. He's like, again, it's, it's average. Uh, James Harden, however, when you add in the assists, is 5th. So there's an example where when you do factor in what James Harden is doing scoring-wise and how he's assisting – um, and I have to imagine he's also assisting on a lot more threes, right? And that's going to also be a right. big boost. Now, can you? I guess the other argument is, well, Russ doesn't have the three-point shooters to throw to. Is that sort of the argument there? Yeah, and it's not wrong. I mean, it, it is true. I mean, he doesn't have Ryan Anderson or Eric Gordon and, you know, even Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza would probably be the best three-point shooter in Oklahoma City if he was um, there. Yes, prob- probably. I mean, because Moro, you just can't play him anymore. Like Moro, and he's actually not even shooting that well. When you're when your calling card is that you're a three point marksman and you're not hitting threes, you can't get on the court. So I know, but also you know, but it's it's the other way around too. He's not getting any consistency. And if you're a shooter, how are you expected to do that when you're playing like five minutes here, fifteen there, and it, so it's a weird cycle there. Um, but but I think the point stands is that yeah, so that is that is part of it, uh, obviously. Um, so perhaps that maybe negates that argument a little bit, but at the very least, um, you know, it, there's a success rate notion here, right? To each possession coming down and getting it being successful or not, which kind of mitigates twos or threes. And the bottom line is, is they're, they're just not very efficient, um, you know, in that OKC offense, you know, when they come down. And I, I guess we could see that if we should quickly check what their offensive rating is for the whole team. Which uh, is not hard to find if we since we do have you know technology. I just saw the movie um, Hidden Number, Hidden Figures, and yes. uh, you know the first computer kind of pops up there by IBM. Did, did you see the movie? I did not. No, it's really, really just absolutely fantastic. And and yeah. by the way, as we see the the, the Oklahoma City offensive rating is thirteenth. It's you know in in that average range, and that this all sort of makes sense. Um, can Russ do anything more, though? I mean, is this sort of – I mean, can Russ and the Thunder do any more? I think they're probably maxed either way, right? Yeah, I think that – I mean, the, with their personnel, I think that they are kind of maxing out their potential. And, and which, again, this is very much about Russell Westbrook. Like, they're not 25-17 and 17 without Russ, for sure. Like, they're almost in the fifth seed with Utah. Right. And they're winning games that – like, I just wouldn't think that they could win. Yeah. 
and and this is this is purely Russell Westbrook force of nature. Well, and you're going to take okay. the good with the bad. It, it is. I, I want to say it's the team. They've assembled a team, and we talked about this before, that really just complements him as well as they can with what they have uh, for the most part. I mean, I think there, there's probably 15% out there that maybe they could kind of get squeeze a little bit more if Russ took, uh, uh, had some better decisions and didn't force as many as he feels like he has to. And, and, and all the, the fans feel like he has to. Uh, but again, that's a perfect world, I suppose. Um, and then again, that would translate to what? Like one more win, two more wins. It's not like, I don't know if it's earth shattering. So again, they, he needs, they need kudos for maximizing everything they can do. Um, and, and, you know, but, but the question now is, is, you know, how do we rate Russ? Like, is this an all time great season or not? I mean, again, back to the round number thing. I think we get a little caught up in this round number stuff, you know, the whole triple double thing and, and 30, 10 and 10. I mean, it's, it's not that it's not impressive. It's just that it's, I mean, is it a top 20 season of all time? Possibly. I don't know, but it's definitely not one of the two or three best. Right. For sure. I mean, Steph Curry's year last year, we've talked about this before. Steph Curry's uh, year last year was just so incredible. And your team's success matters. I don't care, like, the argument that uh, Russ doesn't have en- enough help. Okay, well, that's – that's team success is the whole point of the game, right? So going 73-9 and nine for Steph, that gives him a little bit of a bump. Um, the Obviously, the Jordan season where he won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, like, you know, those are incredible. Uh, LeBron, what was it, uh, 2010? Or 2011? I don't yeah. know. But LeBron's had a, quite a few seasons that were just incredible. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Um, it's tough to say. Again, right. while you're in it, you don't know. Right. I mean, here, let's throw this out, okay? Because uh, and this will be a good pivot. Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas is averaging 28 points a game, a little over six assists per game is shooting 38% from three on a high volume of threes um, and doing shooting very well from two-point range as well. The, the team is winning, you know, similarly to OKC. You know, that's a pretty damn good year. And he certainly ranks higher in the synergy stats as well for efficiency. So, you know, it, you know he's not getting 10 rebounds. It's not really his role. And by the way, he's, I'm, you know, he's, he's I'm much taller than he is. It's like it's, rebounds are not going to come to him. So it's like... Is is he having a better season? It's an impressive season. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a better season. It's tough, man. It's is it it's close? really hard. I, I would say it's close because again, I don't care so much. Like rebounds is such an opportunity stat. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sort of like RBIs in baseball. Um, and, and you know, for a small guard, especially like you know, Ru- Russ is six four, and he is always the best athlete on the court. Every night. Yeah. Do we want to um, talk about the rebounding thing that we were looking at? Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess we could talk about that. Yeah, this well, is going to be – people are going to harp on us about harping on Westbrook. Like, well, this Westbrook's seems, having a great season, but it's just there's there are things. And I feel like this is a reasoned you know, debate. We're not going out and trashing everybody. But this is actually from Eric Horn, who's a beat writer for the Thunder. He sent it over to me. I didn't even see it. But – 
there seems to be evidence that they're clearing out uh, the defensive free throw rebounds for Russ. And he's getting a whole lot more this year than he did like last year, for instance. And, um, and it seems like it's a thing that they're doing to make sure he gets those rebounds. That's, uh, that's interesting. That's provocative, to say the least. Yeah, well, I mean, that guy's job is to box out the shooter. Now, I mean, in the NBA, how much boxing out is there? Not a ton. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. And I know that one of their keys to their offense is to get the ball in Russ's hands as soon as possible, which is why these defensive rebounds are actually – they matter because their best offense is their transition stuff off Russ defensive rebounds. But, in a, you know, on a free throw, you're not getting – it's not a transition opportunity. So it's it's kind of weird. I don't know, man. Like the, the whole stat-based culture um, in basketball is weird. It is. It is. And I'm and I, I telling you, it's like this could be a video, right? Is Isaiah Thomas having a better year than Russell Westbrook? Like, I mean – it's, he's not right, but it's but it's certainly like there's something in the realm I would imagine you know that there's there. Now the funny thing about Isaiah is that um, you know when you look at his on-off numbers, I was kind of curious to see what his effect is. Clearly, Russ is you know like they're like plus six with him on and minus eleven with him off. Again, you know, kill with him off. And you look at you know Isaiah Thomas's effect, and they're only a plus two point one when he's on the court, and they're a plus three point six when he's off. So they're actually doing better with him off. So that's probably the biggest, you know, indication of, you know, who's having a better year and impact on their team in theory. But if yeah. you want to look at like numbers, and that's what we're saying here, you know, if if, if the, the triple double is kind of arbitrary to me because, you know, if you got nine assists in that one game, is that a worse game, you know, because you didn't right. get the tenth one? I mean, geez. And so, you know, if you wanted to, if you had to parse it a little bit, and that might, this might be, you know, parsing too much, but you know, let's say throw out the rebounds. And let's look at everything else on offense only. Um, that's inter- it's an interesting debate, debate to, to say the least, I'd imagine. Well, here, here's what I would ask. If you traded Russell Westbrook for Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> do the Celtics get better? Yeah, absolutely. That, and so, like, now it, this, has, this is more about the player than the season. Can, but, yeah, but could yeah, I mean, could, could Russ exist in in that in that ball movement? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know because he's never had a coach with the with the balls to stand up to him. You know, uh, if if Sam Presti was half the GM that people say he is, this would not be an issue. But I've yet to see it. Uh, I mean, you know, like we we've, we've seen some of the issues that Kevin Durant has kind of had in Golden State where where he will resort to an isolation possession. And one of my concerns when they signed him was, okay, how much of the problem was he in Oklahoma City? And he obviously was part of it. You know, seeing seeing how frustrated Draymond got with him a couple weeks ago, this has been a, th- a thing that they've focused on. And he's been better of late. But uh, not empowering your coach – to come in and actually run an offense and coach, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is so. I listened to George Carl's interview with Zach Lowe. Yeah, and because you know, like, I want to hear what he had to say, and um, it was one of the things that he brought up. And Zach Lowe asked him, you know, hey, should coaches make more than players? And he backtracked a little bit on that, and I think rightfully so. 
But at the same time, his argument for empowering coaches is a legitimate argument. You know, if if LeBron if LeBron's playing for you and LeBron has all the money and all the power, then why do you even need a coach? Right. Well, because you do. <laughs> he can't have I mean, all that. Sure, but but you know, as we saw, like LeBron's gonna do what LeBron wants to do. And you can either be along for the ride and kind of be a yes man, or you can, you know, pack your bags. Right. And so I think that if you're going to if, if a team is going to hire a coach, then they need to empower that coach. And, and that is yet to happen in Oklahoma City. So that's what we run into. And this is what is the things that are driving us crazy about Russ, a good coach. Like if he went, maybe maybe Brad Stevens would get to him. I mean, we know that the Celtics are going to back up Brad Stevens no matter what. So maybe this is part of the problem. It's not so much Russ. It's more Oklahoma City front office and team. That allow the like, and God, this is gonna sound terrible, but it's like almost like you need to protect Russ from himself. Not that he's bad, but it's just think about how much better he could be. That's a long way of saying. saying. You you said it more eloquently than I've ever been able to say it. That's exactly what it is. And again, you know, you look at these numbers, and and most people would say, well, listen, like what? So he can go to. 32 points and 12 or 13 assists, whatever. It's like, you're right. Like, it, you know, it, it's hard to imagine. I, I, and Blake Griffin was always been the same way. It's like, you know, okay, he needs to improve this, this, like six things because he sucks at those or whatever. So he's going to go from what, 22 and 10 to 24 and 12, right, or whatever. I mean, but it's not really what it's about. There's something more intrinsic to, you know, being part of a team, getting the most out of your possessions. Um, again, and it's also against the top opponents. And so that's what we've been harping on as well, is that it's all well and good to destroy, you know, uh, Phoenix or Orlando. Um, but these guys want to be um, judged on, under the crucible of a title contending team. And that's what you got to look at. And that's very difficult for fans, I think, to to separate. They, they, that's a hard thing for them to kind of understand. They, 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 and, and, and I understand it. It's a whole season. They're playing. Everyone plays everybody. But I'm always looking at it through the prism of, okay, how is that going to work against the Spurs or the Warriors or the Cavs? Yeah, well, when you need a basket at the end of games, that's where you need your offense. And, like, the the isolation stuff is just so 1991. And if you play a seven-game series, it's it's very easy, especially with current rules. Like, you know, you can they can zone up. And, and force Russ to shoot over the top, right. you know, and how's that going to work? So I just, I don't know. I, I would love to see Russell Westbrook with a coach that he respects. And I, I'm not, I don't know anything about his relationship with Billy Donovan, but I can't imagine that Billy Donovan is in there coaching this type of offense. Right. And it's the same with Fred Hoiberg. Uh, and we've seen this, you know, for a couple other people as well in the, in the, in the pros. Uh, I would be remiss if we didn't mention really quickly that we are having a live show tonight after the uh, Warriors and uh, the Cavaliers game. It's an early game for Martin Luther King Day. And the key here I want to stress is that we're going to do it at Facebook Live. And I'm not sure if anyone here has seen a two-man live show on Facebook Live. We're like breaking some ground here. And hopefully in a few days we're going to do it on Periscope. So we're suddenly going to have uh, simulcasting on a bunch of different platforms uh, in a way that you couldn't normally do that before. And I'm really excited about it, Dave. Uh, I know we tested it out yesterday, and it looks and sounds amazing. 
Yeah, it went well. And I love the fact that Facebook um, allows us to get questions right along the side of the video. So we can actually, in real time, respond to these questions. I mean, they, they pop up as, as they're being asked, which is great. So it gives us a chance to not only, you know, get great questions and to be able to answer them, but, you know, shout you guys out and kind of um, let you know how much we appreciate the fact that people actually watch what we're doing. Yeah. And then when we get Periscope going, I know that Twitter for, for me and for you, it's blowing up a little bit too, uh, has always been a really fantastic place to interact. And to be able to have a live show uh, after games um, with, with you and I talking remotely, because, uh, you know, normally you'd see a Periscope with one person holding up their phone. Uh-uh. This is going to be a high, really high quality, uh, you know, high camera, high quality camera stuff. It sounds really good. Uh, it's going to be a really great show. So um, I can't wait to do that tonight. So make sure that you tune in over to Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash B-Ball Breakdown and, uh, and check that out. Uh, and then if you're on Twitter, you can get to, we'll probably have the direct links up there as well. Um, and then Periscope, hopefully we just got to get one email back from them and we'll get it all set up. Um, well, do we want to, let's, should we wrap up with like, uh, you know, another subject? Uh, yeah, we well, let's just do, a, yeah, I was going to say, let's do a quick like preview, um, for the game tonight. And, and this is more like uh, maybe like a scouting report type of preview. Okay. Um, like keys to victory. So for the Cavs, what, what do you think they're the big thing they need to focus on tonight? Well, I have to imagine they're going to want to they, – they can't get outscored from the three-point line uh, by a lot. Like They need to keep pace with that. So, you know, that's what they're going to focus on. going to be that Kyle Korver is now on there, and he's been doing nicely. So, you know, what, they generate them basically with post-ups from LeBron. And the question then is, is how are the Warriors going to defend that? Are they going to double and then risk giving up the three? Or are they going to try, you know, let LeBron score, you know, 35 points down low and shut everyone else down? Uh, and see, so I think that's the key for the for the for the Cavaliers is um, can they generate three point shots uh, uh, enough and knock them down? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, the pace of the game, right? Like, uh, Cavs are on a road trip. I think they 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 considered sitting Kevin Love and LeBron and Kyrie tonight, which would have just been a complete slap in the face to. Oh, I would have been everyone. burning jerseys if they do that. Yeah, that just, you know, that would have been so disrespectful. Um, but I think the biggest thing that they need to do is to keep the ball out of Steph Curry's hands. And and conversely, for the Warriors, I think the most important thing they can do is to get the ball into Steph Curry's hands as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't do this thing where, you know, like he – if Andre Iguodala is ever initiating your offense, that's a problem. Especially against a good team, um, they need to keep the ball in his hands because otherwise, the Cavs have shown they will be extra physical with him, and they'll get away with it. And, and it just it wears you down. Um, I saw a stat: his his all of his percentages drop for the last four games against the Cavs. They've dropped two percent field goal percentage, three percent threes. Uh, you know, like he scores less because they're they're spending the first two quarters wearing him down. So by the end of the game, when you're already going to be tired anyway, he's a little extra tired. Right. And so maybe they can even cut some minutes in the first half just to kind of get him out there because I've often felt like whenever I had a really good shooter, sometimes I just take him out for a little bit and then put him back in because the team kind of forgets about him. And then you might get a possession or two where he's like, oh, crap, he's open, and he gets a shot. But without question, um, they are physical and they face guard him, and they, don't, they ignore the ball when they're guarding him. So it's like 
The only protection he has is when he has the ball. They cannot be as physical as they would like to be with him with the ball. They discovered this when they won the championship, and they've kind of forgotten about it a little bit. And, um, you know, whether or not you want to save it or not, you still got to try and get your, you know, your confidence and get your, your mind's eye. Steph needs to be able to visualize success with the ball against Cleveland. And um, that's sort of what's not happening because – even if it's um, he gives a short roll to Draymond, that's okay because his gravity has pulled them out of the way and they've been attacking. When you get him off the ball and for all the beautiful hashtag basketball, this is the one team that seems to really understand how to focus on that and has Richard Jefferson and, and Iman Shumpert and then even Kyrie. They, he's, they, there's footage of him out there like grabbing and holding him and making it hard on him. Um, and that's, that is definitely the key. I would like to see LeBron just go for 40 and shut everyone else down and see if that's, if that's going to have any effect. It might not, but it seems to me that Cleveland's at their best when, when he's getting his 24 and, and they're lighting it up, you know, 12, 13 threes in a game. Yeah. LeBron, like uh, what he's doing this season is so impressive, man. It is such a, an example of restraint. And then every now and then you see him break something out, like, you know, when he goes up for a dunk and his chin is above the rim, you know, and it's like, okay, so this guy is still the super athlete that we know, but he's just taking it easy. I mean, and I think that it's impressive because he's, he's making the guys around him better. Yeah. I mean, he's averaging eight assists per game and that's a career high. It's crazy. And I think, by the way, real quickly, the the idea behind this is that he's taking it easy, but what he's also doing is empowering his teammates, right? He's kind of doing what Russ could do in theory, right, if he had a different kind of game. Now, it's different because LeBron is just so much bigger, and that is a a huge factor that he just simply is blessed with that size. But, uh, you know, these guys are going to have experience of succeeding, uh, and they might need him in the playoffs, these guys, these 6th, 7th, 8th guys. Yeah, well, also, I mean, and to be fair, LeBron does have much better teammates. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Amon Shumpert would probably start. Uh, no, Obviously. maybe not. Or maybe he wouldn't start over Oladipo. But, but Amon Shumpert, who's not great, would would be a significant minute player for Oklahoma City. I don't know how he still is in Cleveland. I guess that. They just don't have the wing depth right now. but Right. I mean, um, I like him defensively for the most part. And, like, there was promise on offense from him two years ago. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's weird. He hasn't been able to figure out when and how and where to get those attacking you know, things because he'll do these complicated dribble move stuff, and it just doesn't get him anywhere. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a struggle. And maybe he'll figure it out. But you're right. Uh, you know, but he's good. He's good. He certainly mm-hmm. defensively he's, he's useful for them and, and versatile. So, um, it, it'll be. It should be a really good game. It feels like the Warriors are ready. They're, they've all had rest. They're at home. It's their chance to slug back and see what's going to happen. So, who do you think is going to win? Gun to my head, probably the Warriors. It's a home game. Um, the, the big, the my big debate on that though is the Warriors have been really bad this year on national TV. Kind of. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant. When was the last time Kevin Durant had a big game on national TV? I don't even pay attention to that. I mean, he's, you know, most of his games are good. Time. But, okay. Right. Um, but the Warriors have, have been especially bad on national TV. And, you know, they haven't been great against good teams. So I'm – except for Toronto. Um, so I'm curious to see how it, how it works out. And I expect we'll see, a you know, Warriors get a big lead. Cleveland comes back. Warriors hold on and win by like eight or so. Huh. Yeah, I, I would go with the home team. 
Uh, it's a weird start time as well. So the, you have a feeling that um, these teams are going to be off. I bet you the first quarter is going to be disjointed and strange because th- these guys are uh, programmed to perform, you know, and, and there's a clock and a rhythm that they have. And we've all, we see this on Sunday morning games, and, you know, it's always a little bit weird, usually. So I would, I would imagine that, like, the first quarter will be strange because they're kind of, again, heavyweight fight. They're feeling each other out. It's a weird start time. But, uh, yeah, I would go with the home team. I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait to get out there, vine the crap out of this thing or, or you know, Twitter video. And then we're going to get mine camera coming up tomorrow or something. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, either way, uh, it should be a really great matchup. We deserve one. We haven't really had – I mean, we've had some, actually some epic games recently. But this one, we deserve a really good epic team, uh, game between two great teams. Yeah, we do. And and, and these, these guys that are going to meet again in June – and uh, this would be a nice little preview. I know the Warriors, you know, they want to get back that Christmas Day loss for sure. Like it matters to them. Absolutely. As much as they say it doesn't, it matters. Right. These guys are professionals, but they're, they're people too. Well, I have to tell you, every Monday conversation that we have matters to me. Because I think it matters to everyone out there because this is blowing up here. Everyone's loving it. So let us know what you think about the podcast on Twitter because we love to hear from you and uh, adjust on the fly if we have to. We'll drop a play to figure out how the podcast can improve. But either way, let us know if you love it or you hate it, whatever. Um, and re- rate and review on iTunes. It's really a great way to continue that flame. We're already in the top 10 uh, on, an MB- on NBA search and iTunes for podcasts. And, uh, you know, let's, let's keep going. Yeah, actually, actually, you you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, the importance of rating and reviewing the podcast. Um, you know, we live in an iTunes centric world, and you know, this is how people find it. Um, we we need to know what we're doing well and what we're what we need to work on. So, if you guys don't write us a review, we don't know. Well, thank you for for breaking this stuff down here. Really great conversation, uh, and I, I like the fact that we went in depth on like on less subjects. And uh, really made some interesting cases. So let us know about the Russ stuff too, because I'm always curious. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm dealing with my demons, my Russ demons, and I'm trying to overcome them. So you know, feel free to hop on wherever and let us know what you think. And uh, you know what? Don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs>